morning, we're going to ask our kiddos to go ahead and stand up. And you can follow our adult leaders out. And they'll be heading next door. I'm really excited to be getting that back going. You know, we said getting into 2021, we really wanted to try to step back into seamlessly a lot of our education and our time to just give the kids their own time and be able to, uh, man, just to be able to pour God's word into them. They're doing some really great things. And I hope you guys that, uh, that have kids and all the age groups will be uh, continue to interact with them as we kind of navigate through the curriculums and the different things that, man, I really think will be a blessing. And, um, and continue to share and encourage others that, um, you know, are looking for something for their kids to, man, come check it out. Because I'm, I'm just so excited about what we have going on and what, we're, what they're going to be learning. So Galatians chapter 4, church, we're going to get back into Galatians this morning. Our study on the grace of God that we've called grace to you. You know, and we've gotten the opportunity this morning to sing about how great that God is and what God has done, what he has provided to us. And I pray this morning that as we get into this passage of scripture that we would see, we would see what God is doing in the midst of the gospel through the grace of God for us. So let's, let's read together this morning, Galatians chapter four, we're going to start in verse 16 and go down to verse 20. Verse 16, he says, I have then become your enemy by telling you the truth. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Church, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray this morning that in the midst of the gospel, in the midst of your goodness, Father, that we would see what it is that you're using to mold us and to make us in the message that you want us to cling to, the message you want us to be led by, God. And I pray that through this text, we would be encouraged to not be distracted by, distracted by any lesser things. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We ask for you to speak to us through this word. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. So church, you know, we've been going through this study where we've been seeing Paul write to these believers in this region of Galatia where he's speaking to them in defense of the true gospel. He's speaking to them in defense of the goodness of God and what God really has for them, mostly the message being what he has for them in the freedom that is found in Christ alone. You know, we know that through this, leading up to this time, that Paul is basically uh, kind of speaking against the message of what they call Judaizers, or these, these Jews that were coming in and telling them that the gospel of Jesus alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, was not enough, and there were other things that needed to be added to it to be in God's good graces. And so what we see as we get into these verses this morning is we're going to see Paul present these kind of contrasting ideas 
uh, these two different types of messages, if you will, these two different tr- types of, of ministry almost, if you will, that he lays out for them to see what is being done and how it is affecting them as they're navigating and moving towards and in the freedom that God has for them in Christ. You know, we're going to see one truth, uh, one grounded in truth, and one grounded in selfish ambition. One built on Christ and another built on man. You know, and we see in Galatians 4.16 where Paul has a very clear statement here. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, and the thing that we'll learn, if you haven't already learned in your Christian life, is that telling the truth of God isn't always palatable, right? It's not always, it doesn't always taste good to everyone. Sometimes it doesn't even taste good to ourselves when we preach the word to ourselves or when we hear something spoken to us that, that puts a bad taste in our mouth because it challenges us, right? It convicts us. And so Paul is telling, he's acknowledging here, he says, am I your enemy because I've told you the truth? Obviously, he's saying absolutely not. And we'll see why this isn't the case as we move further down that as we're speaking the truth, hopefully speaking the truth in love, hopefully speaking the truth in concern, that we know that, that there's a, a motive and a message behind that truth that is lasting, that is foundational to our living the Christian life. And these two messages that he communicates, and these will be our two points this morning, is a message that is making much of us and a message that is making much of Christ in us. There's a big difference between a message or a gospel. Remember, the word gospel simply means message. But there's a substance to our gospel that is different than the gospel of the world or the gospel of even these Jewish believers, uh, these Jew- Judaizers, these Jewish people here that were ta- speaking a different gospel, a different message, what they believed was good news, but Paul is telling them. Paul will, will see that Paul is contrasting these two messages so we could see the truth of what God wants to do and is doing within us through the gospel of grace. And so the first thing this morning we see is this first message that he presents is this message that is making much of us. Galatians 4.17. 4.17, he's talking about these religious leaders and he says, they make much of you but for no good. And so some translations may translate this more to, uh, to say the words such as passion uh, for you or a zeal for you. You know, and the thing about it is that passion is not always a bad thing, but the pursuit of the passion reveals the purpose of that passion. And so what he's telling them is that their passion for you is not for good. Their passion for you and what they're pouring over you and also this idea of kind of building you up or kind of fluffing you up, you know, kind of really, uh, really puffing you, flattering you. They're trying to flatter you, making much of you. They're passionate about you, but it's not for good purpose. You know, it's not wrong to be passionate about people. Well, we should be. It's not wrong to love people and encourage people. But what Paul is saying here is there is a sense at which these religious leaders are stepping into these circles and they were being, making much of you. They were building you up, but not for good purpose. You know, Paul also kind of mentions this in Romans 10, 2 through 3. He says, for I bear them witness 
that they have a zeal or a passion for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So he says that this passion they have is driven by their own attempts or by their own strengths or by their own glory in accomplishing God's righteousness, and they're ignoring the righteousness that God is trying to give to his people through his grace, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they're, they're disregarding the true gospel, what we would acknowledge as the true gospel, and they're being passionate about their own gospel. And so that's what Paul is speaking to in this moment. He's saying, listen, they're making much of you. They're building you up. They're trying, they're flattering you. They're throwing all these things, making you out to be the, the center of it but not for good purpose because they're not pointing you. They're being passionate about something that is not the gospel of Jesus. So these Jewish leaders were teaching that this approach to the gospel was that grace was not enough. And so what they were doing is they were constantly putting the power in the people's hands that as people that they would wield the power to gain access to God. And so what Paul is telling them, he's reminding them of what he reminds them through every epistle that he writes is that we are fallen, broken people with no strength on our own. You know, because when we, I heard this said that, you know, if, if our salvation is about us and what we accomplish and what, what we do and the strength that we have within ourselves, then if we gain that salvation through our own work, then God has no right to ask anything of us, right? Like if we've done it, if we've earned it, if we've accomplished it through our own strengths and abilities and that we live this Christian life by our own righteousness, our own goodness, what can God ask of us? But if, if everything we have in our salvation is a gift from God that he's uh, given to us and that we receive and that we begin to walk and live in, in his strength, in his righteousness, then God has every right to ask everything of us. And that's a beautiful thing because that gives us purpose. That gives us direction. That leads, guides, and directs us into every step that we take in our life because it's not based off of what I've accomplished in any right that I have to push away what God has, but it's an, a complete acceptance of all that God has, his instruction, his grace, his mercy, his conviction, his compassion. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an all-inclusive experience that God has for his people and that even though we don't have the right to reject, listen, if we completely understand it, we don't want to reject it. We don't want to push back because we know that this good God has a purpose and, and, and vision for us in our lives. And so Paul continues on saying in Galatians 4, 17, you know, he, he, he's acknowledging that the people are instilling a sense of pride and ownership and a sense of where as people, we have that ability within ourselves. You know, we see this, you know, where, where we find application for this is that there, there is a, a, a movement within Christianity that is elevating, like kind of a humanistic idea of Christianity where it elevates mankind to where we are almost, in a sense, gods on earth, where it's about us. You know, and these are, these are Christian denominations or, or uh, churches that, are, that really, man, they focus in on us, that, that 
being the best you, you know, like, like accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Like God wants you to be happy. Like God wants you to, to do all the things that you want to do. Like all these things just being communicated. And what that does is it begins to take our minds off of a holy God, take our eyes off of our sinfulness and our weakness and start to put it to where we can depend on ourselves. You know, we're, we're, we're the ones that are wielding the power. We're, we're the ones that are accomplishing the good, the, the goals that we have and that it's, that we don't need God because the power is in me that I'm accomplishing it. And so in Galatians 4.17, he tells him what this type of gospel, what this type of message about God and about humanity, what it does to us. And he says in verse 17, he says that this is all to shut you out so that you may make much of them. You know, some translations may say to isolate. You know, so their purpose, he says, for one, isn't to draw you into the community of God, but it's to isolate you away so that your dependence is on them. You know, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit last week when we talked about kind of our vision as a church and who we want to be, but, I mean, in, we see this, right? We see this where churches and preachers and pastors want things to be pointed at at them like it it's their name on the billboards right it's their names on the websites their name.com their name ministries.com you know things like that where it's 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 focused at them because you know and 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 if we we relate that and and hear the message then we can correlate where the message of the gospel isn't pointing us to Jesus because we're sinful and we're weak and pointing us to a holy God in dependence on him, but it's pointing to us where we can be prosperous, where we can accomplish things, where we have the power within us to do what we want to do. And what does that do? It isolates us from the community of God, the dependence that we should be having on each other and a holy God. And it begins to tell us within ourselves, I don't need anybody. I don't need God because the power is in me to accomplish. And if I can have enough faith, then I can do these things, or I can have this, or I can be rich, or I can have the best job, or I can have uh, the most successful business, you know, whatever it might be. You know, these things are living and active today. You know, this is written thousands of years ago, but we find so much application in the type of people that Paul is talking about and the kind of church that he wants us to be today. You know, these people, he says that they're, that they're building you up. They're building you up with this so-called gospel or good news that tells us that either I'm the good news or that they're the good news. It doesn't tell us that God is the good news, that Jesus who died for our sin is the good news. You know, a ministry or in a message like this, it, it looks to build fans rather than followers. It looks to build fans of an experience. It looks to build fans of a brand. It looks to build fans of an idea rather than followers and disciples of Jesus. Followers that are pining at his feet. God, we desperately need you because I'm desperately broken. We desperately need you because I'm desperately weak on my own. We desperately need you because I'm a sinful man who needs saving, constant rescuing, that I'm being perfected, that I'm in process. And God, that process doesn't end the moment that I'm saved, but that process continues as my life moves. And it's in you that I depend on. It's in you that changes. It's in you that changes me. It's in you that molds me. But this message that he says is about fans rather than followers. It's about impressing people. It's about entertainment. It's about drawing them into themselves, isolating them from the community. 
Church, a gospel-energized ministry does not need to have fans who are emotionally dependent on the leaders. A gospel-energized ministry does not need to have fans emotionally dependent on leaders. Because this is not pointing to God and it's not bringing him glory and honor. This is a view of the gospel that makes much of me and makes little about God. Makes much of me and little about God. And listen, false teachers, false teachers need to have people who need them. You know, and, and this is very important. You know, we don't like to acknowledge or to be critical, and it's not necessarily about being critical of people per se, but the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us to be mindful, to be discerning, to take everything that we hear from everyone and, and lay it against the revealed word of God to see what is truth. You know, that's why Paul starts this, this section. He says, have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? You know, we'll see as we move on where this is coming from from Paul that it's not just out of bitterness. It's not out of jealousy. Paul's not jealous of this ministry. The job, the, he's not jealous of these people and these leaders. He has, a, as, has a, a love for them, as we'll see, a compassion for them. You know, he says that these leaders need people who need them. You know, and so what does this status lead us to? Like we said, it leads to, ex- the, the, to shut you out or to exclude or to separate in some translations, like I said, say to isolate. True gospel ministry is focused on God, does not need to lead us, does not lead us into temptation. It leads us into community. That's community with Christ. That's community with other believers. And any mindset, church, because the reality is any mindset that leads us back to ourselves is a lonely, dark road, Right? I mean, because if we're being led back to ourselves or we're being led back towards a, a, a person, some type of leader that we're depending on or that everything that we have is our, our whole stake of faith is dependent on, when we're led back to that strength, ability, and resume of life, we find ourselves, especially when we're led back to ourselves, we find ourselves ashamed. We find ourselves disappointed, guilty, discouraged because we, we know and we realize we're broken. We, we, we're sinful. You know, and so then it leads to what Paul is truly trying to communicate. And the last thing this morning is that he is making, that the message would be making much of Christ in us. That there's a big difference between making much of us and making much of Christ in us. And that we begin to see Paul's heart his pastoral heart for these people. He begins to show us what a true leader looks like, that a true leader isn't pointing to himself and the betterment of his image or his brand. In Galatians 4.19, he says, my little children. We see such a beautiful uh, uh, example of familial love and pastoral care from Paul. You know, that his concern for their well-being uh, was like a father, a mother to their child. My little children, like you can just see the love and compassion in his words here as he's trying to speak truth to them. And the reality of this is, is that you can only express this kind of relational love when you have experienced that type of relational love. And it is found only in God the Father through Christ the Son. That that type of love, that type of experience, it can only come from Christ can only come from what we've experienced through the, the death and the Jesus on our behalf and the faith that we have in him. 
In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says this. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I have become your father in Christ through the gospel. See, it's in Christ. It's in Christ being molded and made within us that we are able to be that for each other, to have that communal love for each other, that con- compassion for each other. He says that you have many guides. You have many people that lead you. You have many people that, that you know, that maybe even you depend on to a certain extent or that are part of your life, that, that, that you get encouragement from, that maybe you're, uh, you get instruction from. But he even says here, he says that there are a few, you have few that are your fathers. And when he says that, he's talking in a sense of spiritual leadership. And he says that I have become that father for you in Christ through the gospel. When he says gospel, he's talking about the true gospel, the gospel of grace. Because he's saying here, he's saying I've experienced the gospel of grace when Jesus met me on the road to Damascus, when I was going to murder and and imprison believers. God met me there through Jesus. And he saved me. He saved me in the midst of my wicked work. He saved me in the midst of my journey towards rebellion and sin. And it's because he's had that experience that he's able to be that leader for these people. See, the other gospel doesn't allow that. The gospel of man doesn't allow that because it's all built on our performance. It's all built on how well we do. It's all built on how strong of a leader we are. And it takes the focus off God. It empowers us and empowers people. And it pulls our dependence from a holy God. And in verse 19, he continues on. He says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Such a like vivid image of Paul's feelings towards the situation and the people. Listen, I haven't personally ever experienced childbirth, but uh, I've been around and I can imagine that it's not pleasant. You know, so this is Paul basically saying, you know, the, the unpleasantness of childbirth, that he's experiencing that. But there's a, a beautiful kind of purpose to that, right? Because we know what childbirth brings. It brings life. It brings beauty. It brings love. It brings compassion. So he says, basically saying, like, I'm experiencing this pain because I have such a passion for you. I have such a love for you because I know what it's moving towards. I know because it's moving towards life. It's moving towards goodness. It's moving towards love. It's moving towards mercy. And God, he says that almost like he's saying, I'm willing to experience this pain and have this conviction and compassion about your goodness, about your your development, about your spiritual growth, about you understanding the true gospel because I know it's wielding life. You know, this is what the message of the gospel is about. Paul wants his people to see this, understand this, and begin living in this. Paul has an anguish or a pain for them to have better. To have better. If we could have that type of anguish for each other, have that type of anguish for our families, have that type of anguish for our friends, that we would want to see life begin welling up within them through the gospel of Jesus. Like if we were driven by that much passion to see God molded within the lives of the people around us, 
how motivated would we be? Paul wanted to see them have better. Not better financial status, not better social status. He wanted them to have better freedom, better hope, better love, better mercy experienced and lived out in the that dismantles our pride, dismantles our dependence on our abilities, and draws, into, uh, draws us into a resting and acting relationship with Christ. Paul wants to see movement in their life. He wants to see that growth, and he's driven by this desire and this anguish for them. First John 2, 1, he says, this, he says, my little children, uh, when John is writing, kind of in the same, uh, same sense, he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John says this kind of the same pastoral idea. John, in the same capacity, pastoring a a group of people from a distance, he writes to them saying that I'm writing these so that you may not sin. He's he's pushing them and calling them to to live holy lives, to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, even though they bear the righteousness because of the advocate, Jesus. He says, pursue it. Pursue holiness, live your life, you know, push away the wicked things, push away the the rebellious things of our life. Let this be an active day-to-day moment in our life. Then third, uh, third John 1.4, he writes again, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. He wants them, this passion to see believers living and walking in truth, pushing away sin, neglecting our selfishness, just neglecting what, what fulfills us temporarily and begin to hold on to those things that are everlasting and sustaining. So I have no greater joy than to see you walking in truth. And I believe he's, he's echoing the, the same uh, sentiment that Paul would be saying and preaching to the people in Galatia. That he wants them to be walking in truth. That's why he says in the beginning, am I your enemy because I'm, pre- I'm telling you the truth? Absolutely not. But it's driven by this fatherly compassion, this spiritual headship that he has in this relationship with these people that he wants to see better. It's so much, he wants to see better for them so much that it anguishes him. It gives him pain deep within him. And this is what he wants to see. Galatians 4.19, until Christ is formed in you. You see, the difference between those messages is that one makes much of us for the glory of man, and the other makes much of Christ in us for the glory of God and and our development into the image and the likeness of Jesus in our life. Paul's goal isn't glory for himself, but the development of more and more of Christ in their lives. You know, and I kind of see this idea even connected to the, the imagery of childbearing. You know, when, when a, a mother has a child in the womb, her life changes, right? Because that, that, that child is a part of her, is dependent on her, it is using her, and it, it begins to change the landscape of, of, of how her body functions, that you're sharing blood, you're sharing nutrition, you're sharing all these things, and, and life is different, 
And so for us, you know, when he's talking about until Christ is formed in you, he's talking about us developing into this relationship with God where Christ within us, with the Holy Spirit within us, through the Son, Jesus, is changing us. It is affecting us, that it is a part of us, that it depends. It, it changes the way that we move. It changes the way that we make decisions. It changes the way that we act and interact with the people around us. You know, it's this experience of deeper freedom, deeper love, deeper wisdom, and deeper confidence in God that he wants for us. Because this is what God's intentions are for us to be molded and made into the image of Jesus. Romans 8.29, Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, despite Paul's call in Galatians 4.12 earlier, Paul told them to be like him. He's only letting himself be an example for them to be changed and pointed to Christ. Because, church, whenever we make Christ in us, when we make much of Christ in us, we are not afraid to be seen. When we make much of Christ in us, we are not afraid to be seen. But when we make much of ourselves, are being poured into a message that points back to us, then we're afraid to be seen because what do we do? We're on this carousel where we're constantly reminded about where we fall short. So Paul, he has this confidence to invite them to imitate him, to see him because he's not making much of himself. He's not pointing them to his abilities. He's not pointing them to his talents. He's pointing them to Christ. He's pointing them to Jesus. Listen, for me as a father, the only way I can even remotely attempt to lead my family spiritually is by constantly pointing them to him. Not trying to, to make much of me, not trying to make much of my talents or my abilities, but making much of Christ, constantly coming back to him, constantly depending on him, constantly acknowledging and being vulnerable to the failures and the mistakes and the, and the, the struggles that we live and have in our day to day. You know, I've always said this, that, that our families and the people that depend on us around us, they don't need us to be perfect. They don't need us to be perfect. But in our imperfections, they need us to point to the perfect one. They need us to be leading to that perfect one. You know, he's not trying to get fans, but he's trying to draw in followers to be dependent on Christ, not him and not themselves. Tim Keller said this. He said, it is the gospel which brings people to Christ's dependence shapes people in Christ-likeness, and provokes people to Christ-praise. Church, the gospel frees us from the need for people's approval. And that's a huge deal because every single thing that we do feels as if we're trying to do it for someone's approval, right? Even when we're seeking after God, there's this part of us that, that, is, that wants approval, and that, that, I believe that's part of our flesh. Our, our flesh needs acknowledgement. Our flesh needs uh, to, be in, uh, to be noticed. And, and that's not always bad. There's not always, it's not always a bad thing, but that desire within us, that fleshliness within us that needs to be approved, that needs to be acknowledged and accepted, can sometimes become in the forefront of our lives and begin to lead, guide, and direct, and drive everything we do and what we don't do and how we lead and how we speak. 
where Paul is telling us that the gospel, the true gospel message frees us from the need for people's approval and adoration. And so if we cannot be led by people's approval and adoration, what does that allow us to do? That allows us, gives us the freedom so that we can confront. And he maybe even at times anger the people we love if that is what is best for them. And that's what Paul's doing right here. He says, have I become your enemy because I've told you the truth? So obviously he, he's in, interacted with some type of resistance in the midst of this. But it's when we're living per the gospel of Jesus, making much of Christ in us, that we don't have to live for the approval and the adoration of people because that's not the message that we're hearing. And I pray that's never the message you hear from us. And when we're, that's not the message we hear, it frees us up to be able to have difficult conversations. For me, I have four boys. I know that there are gospel difficult conversations that I'm going to have to have with my kids. I've already had to have. I've had a teenager for one year and I've about gone crazy. You know, and I know that there will be more of that to come. But if I'm driven by the adoration and approval of people, I mean, in the context of my family, yeah, I, the, my, part of me wants my sons to approve and to adore me and to everything I hear just be love and encouragement and great to them. But there are going to be times when I'm going to have to lean into that life and I'm going to have to say some very difficult things for their good. It may even uh, anger them. It may even drive them away to some sense. But we have to, we are, we are, are, have to be more committed to the truth than we are committed to approval. Otherwise, people around us will suffer. Our spouses will suffer for that. Our children will suffer for that. We have to be able to be spiritually and gospel honest with each other. Gospel ministry is marked by love and honesty, not flattery. And any gospel message or ministry that is driven by flattery is not doing us any good. And so why does this matter for us this morning? I think it's because Paul wants us to know that, God, that the Christian freedom is found in making much of Christ, dwelling on him, seeking after his resemblance and likeness in our lives, and stepping into the sanctifying, perfecting, molding work of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Church, as we grow in grace, that likeness is more and more prominent in our lives. It is by the grace of God that we are molded more into the likeness of Christ, leaning into that grace, preaching that grace to ourselves, preaching that grace to our families. Grace is what molds us. Grace is what changes us. You know, this morning, our kids are learning that our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own but belong to God. That is a beautiful truth. That is a beautiful truth that I, I believe we forget way too often, that our only hope in life and in death is that we are not our own, but when we have put our faith in Jesus, we are God's. We are his children. We are his people. As we sung about this morning, and not, that isn't just a one-time thing, but that is a life of dependence, that we are being sanctified through our dependence on God's grace, on his mercy that is made new every day, that we are dependent on him. And it's living in that that brings us freedom, church, that covers us in grace and forgiveness and moves us in a direction of seeing Christ formed in us, becoming a part of us, changing us. And so our question this morning, and then I'll be done. Our question this morning is this. 
is that is your Christian life moving forward into liberty or backwards into bondage? Are we making much of ourselves or making much of Christ in us? Because when we're making much of ourselves, we're moving backwards into bondage. When we're making much of Christ in us, we're moving forward into liberty. And so what kind of bondage can we be talking about? Typically, when we speak of bondage, we're talking about self-reliance. We're talking about habitual missteps for comfort. Or as Paul says in verse 17, that we're dependent on a message that is isolating us from Christ and from the church. And so for us, that as we answer that question, that we would begin to see through the lens of what Paul has for us in the message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel moves us. When Christ is being made much of in us, the gospel moves us into worship, into service, into the lives of our friends and our families for the sake of God and his glory and not our own. You know, and then Paul would write, and I'll be done, to the Philippians in first, uh, uh, Philippians 1.27, he says, Only let your manner be a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In the Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in the presence of in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's message of Christ being made in us is one of action, and that it's action driven and led by and motivated by the gospel of faith in Christ, not in ourselves, not in leaders, but in Christ alone. Church, can we just bow our heads and And take a moment as we just reflect. I pray that you would take this moment to reflect. As we constantly just bring ourselves to a point of of dependence and reliance on holy God. Hearing a message of the gospel that makes much of Christ in us and not much of us because we're faulty and we're, we fail. And, and, and I pray that even in this moment, as we're bringing to our focus the places at which we fail, the places at which we struggle, the places at which we see that, that we, we want to do better, we want to live and depend on God more in those areas, I pray that we would begin to relinquish control of those things and begin to see, see that Christ being made much of in us is so much more empowering that it's so much, more, uh, so much more glorious, that when we're given glory to God through our actions and our love, that it's a dependence on him that is not dependent on me. Church, I pray that we would accept the conviction and the challenge and begin to step and to live in the compassion, the compassion that he has in the true gospel that makes much of Christ in us. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray this morning that in all our weaknesses, God, in all our failures, in all our missteps, Father, that we would know that this Christian life is not about making much of us. It is not leading back to us. It is not leading back to who we are or what we've done or what we want to accomplish, God, but it leads back to you. 
God, that it's a dependence on you. And I pray that that's what people see from us. I pray that that's what leads us into ministering and discipling and leading our families, God. Father, Lord, because we just come in this moment relinquishing power and depending on you. God, please, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be craving your molding. God, make more of Christ in us. Pour your grace over us, Lord. So, Lord, lead us into those spaces where we can be continuing to be made more into the image of Christ day after day after day. That we would be seeking growth, that we would be working out our salvation, as Paul says to the Philippians. Striving to live a life worthy of the calling that he's given us. Every single one of us have been called by God. That if we've put our faith in Jesus, we've been called by God and that he's conforming the image of Christ in us even in this very moment. God, I pray this morning that we accept that, that we relinquish control and begin living and walking in that glory. Lord, we love you. God, I just ask you to continue to challenge us and be with us. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.